Welcome to Don't Box Me In on TalkZone.com, the show that features conversations with people from all walks of life, talking about their extraordinary experiences and inspirational messages. Now, here's your host, Lana Reed. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this week's show of Don't Box Me In. Uh, today we're going to talk about... Uh, some unconventional people and tattoos. Tattoos and the workplace are a curious combination. With a recent poll by USA Today showing that more than 21% of Americans are wearing body art in some form, it has caused some companies and corporations to readjust their previous views on tattoos. The struggle to change perceptions comes from how tattoos were originally viewed over the years, In the late 1800s, tattoos were mainly seen in carnival freak shows. In the early to mid-1900s, mostly sailors and marines rocked the ink. And around the 1960s, tattoos were associated with outlaw bikers, gang members, and other unsavory elements of society. Today, people from all walks of life are seen going under the needle to get a tattoo. But yet, in some arenas, they still carry the same stigma from years ago. As a matter of fact, a recent study by career builders found that 76% of respondents thought visible tattoos were unprofessional. Dr. Dave Ories is my guest today, and he breaks all conservative stereotypes when you think of the medical profession and body art. While riding Harleys and sporting tattoos, such as a naked woman wearing a pink cowboy hat, you can find Dr. Dave on the Lower East Side of Manhattan, providing medical care to people classified as the working poor. In a time when there is much buzz about health care and health coverage, Dr. Dave leads example on how he feels national health care should be provided by running a nonprofit health care cooperative for restaurant workers. While some might view Dr. Dave as unconventional by his outward appearance, he makes hotel house calls and helps former gang members get back on their feet, which is most likely more than you will see any conventional doctor doing. With much admiration, Dr. Dave, welcome to the show today. Uh, Wonderful. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you, thank you, thank you for taking the time. Um, I want to cut to the particulars real quick here. Uh, Which came first, the tattoos or medical school? I was in medical school when I got my first tattoos. I think uh, towards the end of medical school, I started getting tattoos. What, what was the first? Uh, what was the first one? If I may ask. Well, oh, you know that you know the caduceus, the uh, staff with the two snakes. Yes, medical, yes, uh-huh. uh huh. Medical symbol. I got that on my uh, see that's on my uh, where's that? That's on my. I had to look. It's on my right arm, but I changed the uh, stick to a, a sexy looking woman. So sexy woman wrapped in two snakes. <laughs> Okay, when did the change come about for the sexy woman? The change, you mean? Yeah, when did you what brought about the change for the sexy tattoo from oh, the, the, the stick? Uh, because the stick was kind of dull. You know, oh, actually, okay. The more, the more philosophy thing is that this, this one snake has an open mouth and one snake has a closed mouth, uh, representing knowledge and wisdom. So you're supposed to have both when you're a doctor. You're supposed to know, you know, know a lot of information, but also know when not, not. To, not to do things. Just do things because you can. You have to have some judgment. That's called wisdom. And the stick represents, uh, or the staff, as it's called, represents strength. And I thought a woman was a better representation of strength than a than a staff. Oh, major points for that. Major points for that one. So since you were in medical school and you got your first tattoo, you didn't have any concerns of, like, this is going to be my profession and maybe I should or should not kind of 
mark up my body with tattoos? No. Um, I don't think so. I mean, none of my tattoos are on my hands or my face. Uh, just because I don't want them, I wouldn't be against that, but I don't have tattoos on my face or hands or my neck, so they're only visible when I wear short sleeves and stuff, which I, where I work now in my own practice in the Lower East Side, I wear, uh, sleeveless shirts or short sleeve shirts or roll my sleeves up all the time. And since I work on the Lower East Side and a lot of my patients know me for years, um, it's mm-hmm. really not even mentioned. It's not really an issue. Okay. Okay. So, Back in the beginning, when you first started getting tattoos, it was not a conscious effort to, like, I'm going to place it here or there uh, because I'm going to eventually become a doctor? I think I might have, going back, this is like, now you're talking 30 years ago, so I'm thinking um, <laughs> it, it might have been, you know, you don't want to get a tattoo on your face or your hands, so that's just asking for trouble, you know, back then. If you get a big uh-huh. spider in your head or, or something like that, it's going to make people frightened and look at you strangely, so that's going to be an, an unnecessary obstacle for yourself. It shouldn't okay. be that, but but it, the fact is, you know, what should be and what is is often different. There's a gap, so it shouldn't be a problem if you have a tattoo in your face or a scar. Suppose you got injured and you burnt your face. True. I have a, a doctor friend, a doctor friend of mine, a great guy. He's a, 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 a an MD who does rehabilitation medicine. He was mm-hmm. burnt in a terrible fire as a kid when he was ten or eleven, trying to save his sister, and he got half his body burnt. Was in a hospital for three years, et cetera, et cetera. But half his face looks like melted skin. Mm-hmm. Now. He, now this is now he's you know, he's a very successful, nice, wonderful guy. But when you talk to this guy for after twenty seconds, you forget that his face is scarred. Now that, that's not a tattoo, but it is a disfigurement that we, you know. If, if you saw him, you go, "Ooh, what's that? That's kind of weird." True, yeah, true, you know I mean? true. So obviously, true. a tattoo you do is self-inflicted, so to speak. But I would not get a tattoo in my face or something because I think it would frighten people. Yeah, and I, I assume like you're in general practice, so. I guess your response to you might be different if you were like a, a pediatrician per se. No, I don't think it matters at all. I mean, okay. who cares? I mean, I think the, what I find is when you talk to a patient who has, say, a, a, a broken hand or a hurt, a hurt, an injury, or they're, they're vomiting or they have a high fever, in 10 seconds, all they care about is what's wrong with them. Just fix the problem. Yeah, they didn't come here to criti- They didn't come into your office to criticize you. They need your help. Yeah. They're very happy that you're helping them. They don't have any staff. I don't have any sec. I don't. Believe, I believe what's called. I have a bunch of beliefs which um, we could talk about. But one is called zero barrier care. I don't know if you ever heard of that. It's kind of a no. concept where there's no barrier between doctor and a patient. For example, if you were to come to my office, you'd walk in. I go, "Hi, I'm Doctor Dave. How can I help you?" And what happened? And we sit and talk, and you tell me. So you don't have to wait in line. You don't have to talk to a front desk person. You've got to fill up. You need to fill out your name and address, you know, obviously, to know uh-huh. your ID. But it's nothing like that. But there's no barrier between me and you. And if you call my office because, you know, you want to talk to me, I answer the phone. I talk to you. And the, 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 I'm going to give you the opposite of that. A lot of doctors have a, a front person with a glass window, like you see those classic offices. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, yes. Is, a, is, is an office person with a glass window like a bank or a Chinese food place? And a receptionist kind of pl- yeah, thing, yeah. Yeah, and it's like a barrier kind of thing. The reason yeah. that's there is actually legal. Not It's not an accident. See, once the doctor speaks to you personally, mm-hmm. now, you've established, now you've established legally a doctor-patient relationship. Okay. From that moment okay. on, they can't make you, and then they can't make you leave. Okay, okay. So therefore... If you talk to a front person and you don't have the right money, you don't have a credit card, you don't have your insurance, you don't have this or that, they can send you out to go get care somewhere else and not get in trouble. Okay. 
Okay, that, okay, I see now. And I guess a lot of people don't even understand the whole dynamics that are going on with the setup or the design when they walk into your traditional styled uh, medical office. Right, they think it's an accident or just a, just, a, just a natural thing to keep a barrier between you and the doctor. Okay, so how long have you been uh, in the Lower East Side Manhattan practicing medicine? About 20 years, 18, 20 years, something like that. Has it always been the design that you're in now, just, you know, you walk in and you see Dr. Dave, or have you evolved into that? No, no, that's how I started. That's how I think it should be. I believe that doctors should answer the telephone. I think when patients call, they speak. When you call a doctor's office and talk to a person who's not a doctor, God bless them, I'm not against these people, the administrators, <laughs> secretaries, managers, you know, nothing, no disrespect to them, but they're not doctors. Mm-hmm. So if someone says, mm-hmm. my knee hurts, or I'm vomiting blood or whatever, there's no way they can tell if that's an emergency or I can see you in two months, or you have to, I'll go to the ER. You know, they can't really make that triage judgment, so to speak. But I can. Mm-hmm. So they call Understood. me, I answer my phone, I go, I, I go, hi, what's going on? Oh, you know, I, I got a call right before I got in your program. Someone just called me uh, 10 minutes before I went in the air with you, and they said, you know, hi, my name's Jack. I go, what's up? He goes, well, I need to see a doctor. Well, what happened, Jack? I go, do you have a cold, a cough, fever? He goes, no, I have a pain in my shoulder for a couple of months. It hurts when I use my shoulder. I got fungal infection on in my toes or whatever. And my hand is swollen. My hand hurts for a couple of months. So I said, okay, well, I'll see you tomorrow around 4 o'clock. He goes, fine. And we hang up the phone. The point is, I talked to him. Mm-hmm. I assessed, you know, the urgency of it all. And I said, I'll see him tomorrow. And he's very happy. I'm happy. And it's, it's a safety thing. Okay. Well, then my question becomes, because it it would appear that this design that you have is much more appealing to the massive population. How How is it that your style is not more widespread across the nation? It's a mystery to me. I mean, the whole thing's a mystery to me. I I got two big mysteries. That's one smaller mystery. I don't know why it's not like this everywhere. It makes tremendous sense. You know, when people call my office and say, hey, Dr. Dave, I saw you two days ago. You gave me cough syrup for my cough and antibiotics, I'm still coughing, I'm throwing up blood, I can't eat any food, I'm pretty sick. Then I say, oh, come mm-hmm. on in right now, come, o- come over here right now, something's, something's wrong, you're having an allergic reaction to the medicine, or you're sicker than we thought, or blah, 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 but come over, you know, I'll see you the next hour, come by. So that's great for everyone. That's great for me, because I don't, I don't have a patient out there who's sick that I don't know about. Mm-hmm. So, you know, mm-hmm. I want to hear about the problem like that. That's, you know, I'm, 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 it's very important that I hear this kind of problem. Secondly, the ha- patient's happy because they don't have to, you know, they, they don't talk to someone who's not a doctor and says, oh, our next opening is two Thursdays from now. True. That's bad for everyone. True. So it's, it's great. I think it's better for everyone to talk to the doctor directly, even for 10 seconds, 20 seconds. Hey, doc, can I take this with milk? Yes. Okay, bye. And on top yeah. of this, I didn't mention to you, I, I have an iPhone. You know, I have the iPhone, and I use text yes. all the time. Patients text me. I, I kind of train them to text me, and I text them. <laughs> Yeah, I Testing saw that on your back. website that you, I mean, you make yourself totally accessible to, uh, your clientele, which is, is very different, uh, according to, you know, like I said, the general medical, uh, profession now. And I, I think that's kind of unique. And, um, you know, I'm just trying to figure I out think, how I, it, it, I it's think, so different. I think, I, I think it's way better and way easier for everybody. I don't know why every doctor doesn't do it. I have no idea. Another okay. thing that is a mystery to me. We talked about, you mentioned national health care for a second before during your intro, I believe. Uh-huh. You know, it, that it's a, it's a 20-hour conversation, but to say it as shortly and succinctly as I can, imagine, um, let me think of a metaphor. Suppose um, you wanted to buy a car, say, that cost, you know, 20 grand, for example. Mm-hmm. And there's a guy over there who says, look, if you give me 60 grand cash, I may or may not give you that car. How's that for mm-hmm. a deal? 
Mm. Nobody would take that. Nobody would take that deal. Nobody. No. That's crazy. Yeah. Yet the, the entire nation of America takes that exact deal for healthcare, and it, it boggles the mind. I don't know. I can't answer you. It's like remember when back in the day they thought the world was flat. <laughs> yes. Yes. Imagine you and I, me and you, we knew the world was not flat. We were in a spaceship once as kids or something, and we saw the world. <laughs> we happen to know for a fact that it's round. Yeah. With me? But everyone's walking around you. saying the world is everyone's walking around saying the world's a flat, but you and I know the secret that it isn't. It's not flat, it's a globe. You can walk yeah. around it, whatever. Now that's okay. how I feel about healthcare. I don't I don't understand how health insurance, which is the world is flat, why people put up with it. It's just crazy to pay sixty thousand for five thousand dollars worth of care. It's just uh-huh. I, I can't even get my I can't get my mind around it. You know, and they I, talk about health insurance. Health insurance is a misnomer because they don't insure your health. They protect yeah, your assets. You don't lose your house. You don't lose your property. You don't lose your bank account. Because if something bad happens, it costs three hundred grand. They pay the three hundred grand, and you don't. So you don't lose your property. Mm-hmm. It, but it does not insure your health. It protects your assets. So it's not even health insurance. Got you. Got you. That, and I, I think problem. I can't recall where I read it, but. Somewhere I read that in the United States, we pay vast more, uh, vastly more than other countries for medical insurance, our prescriptions, and everything to take care of our health is is much more expensive here in the United States. That's true. It's not much more expensive. The price is higher. Because, yeah. Okay. For example, I saw, I saw a patient. I gave Lexapro, five milligrams, anti-anxiety medicine. I gave her mm-hmm. five milligrams. She went to a pharmacy. It was $120 for this. Wow. And I, I went online, and I know for a fact that when I buy it, the price is, it's only $10 a month. That's what's that. What a markup. What a markup. And that's insane. And, you know, it boggles the mind. I, I honestly don't understand it. See, they also, the other thing with health insurance, it's like a casino. They, when you buy health insurance, for example, they go, look, you might have cancer, you might get hit by a bus, you might fall off a building, something bad might happen to you, so you better have insurance. So in case that happens, you're covered. That's the kind of, that's their sales pitch, if you will. Mm-hmm. Does that make any, does that sound familiar? Yes, yes. But So they're, they're trying to tell you that there's risk or chance involved. Like you may or may not get cancer, God God forbid. You may or may not mm-hmm. get, you know, break your leg skiing, whatever. Right? Yes. Make it sound, doesn't it sound like risk or chance? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's a chance. Scam. That's a chance. That's a chance. Is, I know, but this is that's the exact core of the scam. There is no risk and there is no chance. It's a it's a, it's, a, it's a trick. You know, if, if you have a population of a hundred thousand people, you're gonna have X amount of broken hips. X amount of, or say you have ten million people as a population, for example. Okay. Every year you're gonna have this many broken legs, this many tooth cavities. This many glycomas, this many diabetics, it's all, it's all going to add up if you follow them. Mm-hmm. And every year will never change. It's the same every year per 10 million people. You understand what I'm saying? It's called accurate Got you. statistics. Got you. So the fact is, the truth is, like we said, the world was round. The truth in this case is there is no risk. There is no chance. There will, in fact, be exactly 47 broken hips that year. We don't know who's going to uh. break their hip. That's the mystery. But there will be 47, plus or minus three. And the rest is straight profit. No, no, I'm just saying it's a known number. We know there's 47 broken hips every year in that population. 
Are you with me? Okay. Never, yeah, never, I got never, you. Okay, never, I understand, there's, yeah. There's, there's never 200. There's never three. It's always 47, 48 one year, 52 one year, 46. It hovers around 47, if you will, every okay. year. So if it costs a dollar for each broken hip, which it doesn't, we're trying to make the math easy. Let's say it costs a dollar for each broken hip to fix it. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the ambulance ride, the repair, the hospital stay, the rehab, the PT, all of it. Say it costs a dollar. Mm-hmm. You, would, you would need $47 a year to handle that problem. So you can add, you know, 10 bucks on top of that for administration. So you need $60, say. Okay. So you need $60 a year to pay for all the broken hips in your population of 10 million. Now, we don't know who's going to break their hip. We don't have the name of the person, if you follow me, every year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't matter because we're paying for it. It's just we know there's going to be 47 of them. Mm-hmm. Now, the insurance company knows this. So they know that they need to spend $60 to handle the broken hip problem, if you follow me so far. Mm-hmm. So, so, so what they do is they collect from the 10 million people $5,000 wow. to cover the $60 problem. Wow. And, that's to, and that, to me, is where the mystery is. Why does the American public tolerate that? It's unbelievable. Why pay them $5,000 for a $60 problem? Because they, they gotcha. try to scare you. They go, they go, you might break your hip. They, they act like you're one person, but they have 30 million people under their program. <laughs> we, have, yeah. we have 300 million people here. You know, you know what? You, you, you ever been to a casino ever? Yes, yes. I don't want to besmirch your character, but you, you know. You know, you know, you know, you know <laughs> I passed you know, through one. I passed you passed through one looking for, looking, for the, looking for the restaurant. Yeah, that's true. That was me. <laughs> yeah, me too. Thing, <laughs> uh, you know, the casino is the same exact deal. A casino and health insurance is identical. They know if, you know, a roulette wheel has um, black and red numbers, you know, has, uh, I think it has mm-hmm. 18 red, 18, two green. Sure. So, Dr. Dave, yeah, so Dr. I, Dave I, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to talk more about uh, the chances with health insurance right after this quick break. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In on TalkZone.com. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Welcome back. Today's guest is Dr. David Orriz of Lower East Side Medical. Before the break, we were talking about uh, mel- uh, health, excuse me, medical insurance and chance uh, being like the casino. Uh, I wanted to ask... Uh, like auto insurance programs, they offer after a certain amount of time, like a good driver, you get a rebate back. Do you foresee maybe something like that being possible with medical insurance? Okay, if you don't use it, uh, you spent all this money, well, uh, maybe we, no, we could offer no, a rebate. No, 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 I don't because you don't have to have a car. You can. Gotcha. You, know, you don't have to have. You don't have to have a Mercedes. You can I take see. the bus or the train, or you can have a lesser car. You, you don't have to have a Mercedes. But you know, the metaphor I was trying to make, and I'll end it real quickly. It's, mm-hmm. If you have a roulette wheel with 18 red and 18 black, the odds, when you, or, I think it's something simpler. Or, you know a dice, when you gamble a dice, it says a die has six sides? Yes. So if I throw that six million times, what's going to happen? I'll tell you quickly because I want to drag this out. You're going to get the number six one million times, the number five one million times, mm-hmm. the number four one million times. You're gonna, each number, you're going to get one million each. It's going to average okay. out. Okay. So I, I would bet you, I'm going to take a bet with you right now, Lana. I'll bet <laughs> you 50 grand right now. If I threw a dice six million times, I'm going to get a million of each number, you know, plus or minus a couple percent. You'll never take that bet because it's always going to be true. 
That's right. I'm always going to win that bet because it's always a, it's a mathematical fact. There's no risk or chance involved. Once the, so that's the, that's what I'm trying to get across. And most civilians can't understand this because it's math involved. Mm-hmm. You know, when you when you have high numbers or a large population, when you have when you throw the dice six million times, there's no risk, chance. It's a mathematical fact. You're going to get one million of each number. Mm-hmm. So if I bet you fifty grand, I'm really taking your money. I'm stealing your money because I know that's a fact. When you have three hundred million people in the country, you know for a fact how many of each illness you're going to have every year. It's a mathematical sure. certainty. There's no okay. risk. There's no chance. So if we all agreed as a nation to all hold hands and sing Kumbaya and put <laughs> twenty bucks in a month, you put in twenty bucks a month each, it would probably pay for everything. True. So that's how it should work. That's that's called national health care. You find out what the the price tag is. What's it going to cost per year for everybody? Mm-hmm. And just pay that. Just pay whatever that is. It's okay. cheaper. Because you're not giving money to a middleman. That's what I'm trying to get across. That's that would be yeah, yeah. You know, it's money. Yeah, okay. So that is um, that is kind of what your design of your restaurant worker healthcare cooperative exactly. is. Exactly. The rest. The restaurant co-op is a micro a micro example of how national healthcare should work. Each restaurant gives me two or three hundred bucks a month. So I have twenty five restaurants. Okay. They mm-hmm. two or three hundred bucks a month. That's like ten grand if you add it up. That goes into a coffee can or a bank account. Okay. And it stays there. Now, when I see a patient, I charge fifty dollars, eighty dollars, you know, whatever, something like that, to see the person. Okay. So then I get paid, you know, say sixty dollars. I take it okay. from the coffee pot. But the money stays in there. I have no shareholders. There's no CEO. There's no uh-huh. fifty million dollar salary for anybody. There's no no shareholder, so there's no, I don't have to increase shareholder value. So the money is just used for health care. So it's not okay. insurance. It's just health. It's it's health care versus health insurance. You have, health insurance is a giant, you know, it's a scam. It's a fraud. It's a giant racketeering scam. It's very odd to hear a doctor uh, say that. Most of the times you hear doctors, you know, um, with houses in the Hamptons and putting their kids through Harvard or Yale. I can't see them... Uh, having their status quo and partaking in such a design. Yeah, okay, fine. It's still true. You know, you could say, <laughs> fine, okay, they don't like it. It's still true. You don't like the world being round. It's tough, isn't Yeah. It? <laughs> it just is round. I don't like the world yeah, being it, round. Well, okay, you don't have to like it. It's just true. The scam yeah. is true, and you, people can choose to ignore it. If America wants to pay $10 trillion a year, you know, when when when, when an insurance company like Oxford, Prudential, I don't want to name brand names, but a giant mega insurance company, makes, mm-hmm. 60, billion, makes 60 billion in profit. Wow. Where do you think that comes from? They make that like at a quarter. Now, where's that Get money? Get out. Do you think it, they're not manufacturing. They're not selling TVs. They're not selling cars. They're not selling anything. So where does that money come from? It comes from people paying their monthly, what's it called when you pay your monthly whatever it is, your monthly insurance your, bill. Yeah, yeah, your premium. Yeah, your premiums. You, know, you ever hear the yeah. word copay? You ever hear, ever hear the word copay? Copay, yeah. yeah that's, a, that's, a, that's a great example. A copay is, in fact, a you pay. <laughs> You're paying 50 bucks. That's not a copay. <laughs> if, we, if we went to dinner, I said, you, your pay, your paying for dinner costs 50 bucks. That's not a copay. That's a you pay. <laughs> That's the you pay. <laughs> and they call it a copay. And people put up with that. I go, I don't, I don't believe that you're going for that scam. It's like, you know, the guys, the three card Monty guys in the street with the three aces, find the red diamond, whatever. Yeah. 
It's a complete scam. They call it a copay, and you go, all right, I'll pay it. It's not a copay. It's a you pay. You're just paying 50 bucks. <laughs> There's no call about it. Uh, so it's amazing. I, so I don't get it. Atlanta, I don't understand why people put up with it. It's a complete mystery. We could all have, have health care from cradle to grave for one-tenth the money if we had national health care. So the lobbyists who make all the billions of profit are the ones that can go, and not the doctors. The doctors are pawns. The nurses are pawns. The patients are pawns. The sick and the ill and the old are pawns. You know, there's five groups of people private health insurance will not cover. You know what they are? Hmm. The very, very sick, the very old, military war heroes that come back with missing arms and legs and such, and wounded soldiers. Yeah. Um, the mentally ill, and um, I think that's five or four. But they won't cover those. They get kicked off to Medicaid or Medicare. So basically, you need to be healthy to get health insurance. They want the healthy wealthy. That's the category they call it. They call it the healthy wealthy. Huh. I mean, and there's so many people in the United States population that don't fit into that. So, and and as you see with a lot of the topics today, a lot of people are without adequate health care and coverage. Right, but they should all have health. We have national health care. You know, the the. If you had national health care, it wouldn't be connected to your job. It's another big thing. Let's say it was not connected to your job. Let's say you worked at an aircraft company for, 50, say, 40 years, and you want to start your own company in the garage and start the new Boeing company, the new H. Hewlett-Packard, a new computer company like Apple. You want to start a new company in your garage, and you're, say, 50 years old. You've got 30 years' experience. Perfect. You want to start your own company and, you know, hire people and create. It would be great for the economy. You know what happens? Hmm. They, they go, I cannot leave my job. True. Why? Because I can't lose the health care. My, my mom is sick. i got a kid who's mentally disabled. I cannot leave my job ever because I have to have the coverage. So I cannot start that new company. Sorry. So probably 300,000 companies a year are not getting started. And therefore, there's there. no job creation. There's like a trickle-down um, effect to all of that then because people are locked into jobs that they feel provide them health coverage, health insurance. They cannot lose their they can't lose, they cannot lose their coverage. They can't lose their health care. So then, then they stay in the job. Which you know, I understand their position. But that's three hundred thousand new companies not getting started, which is a crushing, giant wet blanket on our on our nation's economy. Economy and jobs is a big issue. You might have heard about it in news all over the world. Mm-hmm. And you're not starting if three hundred thousand companies a year are not getting started because he or she can't leave their company because they can't lose their health coverage. That's a gigantic, tragic loss of jobs. True. And you know. And it's um, one or two of those companies would be huge. Not, obviously, not all of them. You know, out of 300,000, a, you know, a couple of winners. Yeah, all you yeah, need is 10. Few. You get 10 Apple computer companies. You get 10 Nikes. You get 10 whatever they're called, you know, big winners. That's yeah. A, you know, they employ a lot. That's a big ec- economic boost. Now, let me, ask you, let me ask you this, because I know you're not the only solo idealist out there. How many doctors are actually involved in the restaurant worker health care? Cooperative. I, uh, I started it, and uh, we have one doctor in Philadelphia who joined, Dr. Bruce Hopper. He's in mm-hmm. Philly, so he's doing it down there. And they have two doctors in the Upper West Side, Dr. Mike and Dr. Carl, uh, Dr. Carl Goodman, Dr. Mike Wachowski in the Upper West Side and West 86th Street. They joined, so they're doing the Upper West Side. And they just started this like a month ago. And, in fact, today my lawyer contacted me, and we, we, we got our approval to be an actual, I've been just a bank account up to now. So now we got approval today. We applied and it got today, which is a funny coincidence, <laughs> to, be a not-for-profit, to be a not-for-profit company in New York State. 
Congrats, congrats. Okay. We had to ch- we, we had to change the name to Restaurant Worker Health Care Services. Restaurant Worker Care Services is what's going to be called now. Services. Name. Okay. Restaurant Worker Health Care Services. Okay. And so it's only available at this time to restaurant workers, or are there other industries that can um, get your your, your health care services? Well, I'll help anybody. The whole restaurant thing is really a trick. You know, the restaurant workers, if you want to talk about for a second, you know, that what they do is they work in the restaurant. They don't have no access to doctors. Either they have questionable immigration status or they're an mm-hmm. application or, or they can't miss five days of work. And so when they have a lump, a, bu- a lump on their breast or an infected finger or they're coughing, what they do is they go, you know what? I'm just going to wait to see what happens. Wait till it goes away. Terrible plan. Meanwhile, they're coughing mm-hmm. on your food and preparing food with a cut finger. It's all good for anybody. Now, okay. so I started the I started the healthcare worker thing to give them a, a way to, to see a doctor. Would like we said before earlier was zero barrier care, so they can call me, text me, call me, or come to my office with their little card I give them, and I see them, and I look at their hand, I look at their cough, I look at their problem, and I go, okay, do this, this, and that, you'll be fine. So what happens is they get seen days, weeks, or months earlier in their disease process, and that's a big deal. They don't. They don't realize this. This is, you know, this is, they don't know this. Only, only you and I know. It's a secret. Just keep in mind. But what's happening is they're getting seen way earlier with their infection and their cough and their, you know, their vaginal bleeding or their ectopic uh-huh. pregnancy, whatever that was. And, and seeing them earlier makes the care much less expensive. Gotcha. Treating a cough costs six dollars. Treating pneumonia costs, you know, half a million. Wow. So it's way cheaper to treat the cough. Okay. And it's way better right. for them because they don't get as sick. True. Uh, unfortunately, we uh, have to take a quick break here, Dr. Do- uh, David, and uh, we'll be right back. Stay tuned. Let's return to Don't Box Me In on TalkZone.com with your host, Lana Reed. Mm-hmm. Welcome back. Welcome back. We are talking with Dr. Dave Orris today. And before the break, we were talking about his uh, restaurant worker health care services. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Now, we weren't allowed to use the word cooperative when you apply for a corporation, there's certain words you can't use, so we have to change it to restaurant worker care services. But that's okay. It's just a different name for the same thing. Services. Now, I want to um, – it's always been kind of baffling to me um, on the consumer end when I go into restaurants. You know, I don't want to – you know, I'm always concerned with germs and, you know, maybe like a waitress, you know, sneezing or whatever. So I've always uh, been baffled as to why the restaurant industry didn't take more uh, effort or precautions into keeping its employees healthy. So something that you have here, uh, you know, a low-cost option for uh, uh, employers, restaurant employers. I mean, it just seems ideal, and like somebody would have been doing this years and years ago. Why, why not? Well, I, I, I think it has to. It's a mystery. I don't know why not. I mean, it makes complete obvious sense. I mean, I think restaurants don't do it because they can't spend two grand per worker for health insurance, like Oxford Aetna or whatever. They only they don't have any. They don't have a restaurant worker health care. I do it for twenty five restaurants. I'm one guy. I could probably do forty or fifty restaurants max. I am going to, this next year, now that we're not for profit, I am going to approach other physicians in every zip code in New York and ask them to do the same thing in their zip code, like a cookie cutter. Now, if we got 200 doctors doing this in New York, it would cover a bunch of restaurants. Restaurants are the number one employer 
in New York City. Mm-hmm. So you're talking a lot. You're talking a lot of people, and it wouldn't make sense mm-hmm. to give them all flu shots, give them all hepatitis A vaccinations, uh, instruct about you know, give them additional you know help and instruction with hand washing and you know uh, you know hygienic type uh, behaviors. Would all be wonderful and good for everybody, but there's no mechanism, you know. So that is my partial answer. It's a mystery to me and to you. I don't know why no one has. It, 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 you know, if you had national health care, again, it goes back to that. All these mm-hmm. people would, have, when they get sick, would have to see a doctor, you know, and they wouldn't have to pay anything at the point of service. You know, they could, you know, I have a stomach ache, I'm throwing up, I have a fever. They could just go to a doctor anytime, anywhere. We don't have that. We're like the only country left on the planet that doesn't have this. <laughs> Uh, it's just an embarrassment. And, I mean, really, I mean, really it is. I mean, I have had the pleasure to live in certain countries, and healthcare is, you know, was pretty much a a uh, an opportunity that you know was afforded to the citizens. So, it, you know, for us to be the great America, you know, it's amazing that we don't provide for our citizens basic coverage, basic healthcare coverage. Um, yes, the, it's, 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 it's actually unpatriotic. It's very bad mm-hmm. for America as a nation to let people not have access to health because, and it should not be connected to employment. Like we said before, people don't leave work to start new companies, which is a big wet blanket on the economy, a gigantic wet blanket. And also, they work sick, which is bad for everybody. Mm-hmm. Because it's now you're going to make me sick because I have to come in contact with you. Um, you know, and not not only I'm assuming restaurant workers. Let's just say you know somebody working in a store or something. You know, they're all stocking kinds, shelves workers, and yeah. passing germs along. You know, they can't. They have no access for healthcare. It's a crazy, crazy. I don't. It, it's, the mystery to me is the power. Like for example, I have this conversation a lot with people. We just had. You know, we had a brief kind of you know high school level conversation about you know uh, the relation uh, metaphor of a casino as health insurance. You know, why it's a scam. It's yeah. a trick. Health insurance is a scam. Now. The the other thing I was I was saying is that um, um, it's just I, I don't know why it doesn't exist. It ought to exist, and it doesn't. So it's just the power of these. You know, apartheid in Africa, South Africa. When people were against apartheid, I often use this metaphor. It wasn't when you want to get apartheid. The problem wasn't changing the hours of the curfew, or changing the photo ID from color to black and white, or you know the the rules and regulations of apartheid. That wasn't the conversation. Conversation with apartheid is horrible at the root of it. It has to go, it has to be dismantled mm-hmm. and removed. But for years they were talking about flexing it. Oh, we can make it a little brighter. We can make it a little bit easier. We can make mm-hmm. the curfew end at nine instead of eight. You can work two more days. You can be kind of black or kind of white. You know, they were having. But the real core problem was that thing had to be dismantled and gotten rid of. And I feel that mm-hmm. about healthcare and health insurance. I feel it's a metaphor for apartheid. It's got to be dismantled. Gotcha. And gotten rid of. Forget Obamacare. With you know, you have to have insurance. That's a that's a that's a travesty. Mm-hmm. Uh, forget forget you know uh, HMOs, HIP, gotcha. CIPs, QTRs, BMRs. Whatever it is. <laughs> it's got to be. It's got to get dismantled and discarded. We deserve and need to have national health care for everyone coming out of our taxes. And people are you know. Here's, I tell you another. I go on for days. But I tell you one more craziness. Oh, I tell you two more quick crazy things that you'll find very fascinating. I think. Okay. We have national health care now. It's called the emergency room. When kids get shot and stabbed or hit by cars or overdosed or whatever they do, they go to the yeah. ER. Old people have heart attacks. Ambulance comes. They go to the ER. So who pays for the ER, do you think? Tax dollars. So we are paying True. for it just a few feet further down the conveyor belt and at ten <laughs> times the rate. So, and when people get sick, they go to the ER. 
Mm-hmm. You know, because they, they have the baby has a fever. They go to the emergency room. Grandpa's grandpa was coughing for five days. They go to the emergency room. So that costs hundreds of billions of dollars every day because yeah. they have no doctor and they just wait till they're so sick they have to get an ambulance. And that just costs, like I told you before, what would it cost $12 now it costs 150000 because you have the ICU, you got to intubate them, yeah. do all kinds of crazy stuff. So it's, it's the, the layers of insanity are unimaginable. <laughs> I don't, honestly, I, I, it's, 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 it's like the world's flat to me. I walk around going just in a daze. I can't imagine that this is true. It's almost like a, a bad dream. Uh, I mean, how did, I mean, reflecting back, how do you see the transition took place? I mean, just, it, well, it's just straight profit and greed. Like, when I watch, when I watch Charlie Rose and uh, Nova and your show, I listen to your show and other shows and the Channel 13 and stuff, the experts mm-hmm. in this say it was a perfect storm having to start with buttons. Women were sewing on buttons in Texas in the 1920s or something, and then there was a, the economic, the, uh, the crash happened, and salaries, whoever was the president, Woodrow, whoever it was, Woodrow Wilson, whoever it was, froze mm-hmm. salaries. You couldn't increase anyone's salary. The salaries were frozen. So they had to do something to attract workers, and they paid for their health like okay. 25 cents a month or something. That's how it started. And then they okay. realized, hey, we can, make mo- we, we can make money doing this. We're collecting 25 cents per worker, and we're, we're only paying out 5 cents per worker. This is a, this is a great deal. Let's, let's make this a business. And that's how health insurance started. Okay. okay. It's a way to make a lot of money. It's just a big, gigantic, unbelievable... I mean, I think the scam is so big, people can't see around the edges of it. So they can't. it's like almost invisible. It's so large. You know, it's just become accepted. This is how we've done it. This is what we know. This is how it is. Right, like Civil War slavery or apartheid. Yes, living that yes. For 10, 20 years. Yeah. That's just the way it is. You can't imagine apartheid going away. You don't imagine the Civil War coming along and getting rid of slavery in 1720. You know, you're yeah. like, that's the way it is. Yeah, you know, we've lived this so long. Well, this is just this is just what it is. This is, and, and I'm going to assume, it. though, I mean, listening to you talk, that you're not very popular amongst your colleagues. I don't know many of my doctor colleagues, but I think they all agree with me because they're getting squeezed too. They're not the, you know, some only a few percent of doctors make real money, like ten, twenty percent, eighty percent of them make very little money. It's a, mm-hmm. you know, they're, the guys who make the money of the insurance company. You don't, you don't write your check every month for two thousand dollars to Doctor Schmedley, do you? It goes to no. Oxford, it goes to Prudential. That's who's collecting the money. Whoever you write your check to every month, that's who's getting the money. Okay. And they keep it. So, and, and so, so it's a myth. It's a myth that doctors are the upper echelon of the society. Then, well, they probably have a economically. More economically value. speaking, a ten percent are wealthy, fabulously wealthy. Ten percent of them, like plastic surgeons in Hollywood, things like that. But okay. not every doctor works in Hollywood. Gotcha. I work in Ohio, Iowa, Texas, <laughs> New York. Places. Well, upstate New York. Okay. Not all doctors work on Park Avenue. Okay. Most, most of them don't statistically, so that's really just a deflection. The real money, the hundreds and hundreds of billions. And you've heard about the drug war? Yes. We have, a, we have another minute left. I can go for one more minute. Yeah, go ahead. The drug war is another thing, which is more, I guess, high concept. You know, for example, there was prohibition in 1920, whatever it was. I don't know, what year was that, 29 or something? I 30? think so. Yeah, I think I so. It was 20. Prohibition against alcohol. You and I were too young. We, we were very young back then. But they had prohibition against that and prohibition against cocaine and prohibition against heroin. They got rid of prohibition against alcohol in the 1936 or something. They repealed it. But they left it in place for cocaine and heroin. And all it did was create a gigantic mafia, a crime syndicate that still mm-hmm. exists today, a black market for alcohol. And 
you know, if you have a heroin addict, let's see you and I were the czars of, of uh, drug, drug war in America, me and you, okay, we're in charge. Mm-hmm. And we got a kid who's, I got a guy who's 32 years old and he uses heroin someplace in Cleveland. Wouldn't it be just cheaper to give this guy heroin? True. Just give him heroin. Who gives a shit? His name is John mm-hmm. Smith. He lives in Cleveland. I don't give a shit. Give him heroin. I don't know if I swear on your show. Sorry. I, just, <laughs> okay. just, just give him heroin. You know, for, for, for a dollar, for like four bucks, we can give him heroin for a year. You know what I mean? It costs nothing. And you know yeah. what? You know what would be different about John Smith's life if we give, if you and I give him morphine, like uh-huh. once a day, twice a day, a little bit? This is what's going to happen. He won't get shot. He won't get stabbed. He won't get AIDS. He won't get mm-hmm. Hep C. He won't get arrested. He won't do crime to steal stuff to get money to buy heroin because we gave it to him for free. He mm-hmm. won't um, spread AIDS. He won't spread hepatitis C by doing prostitution and turning tricks to get money to buy drugs. So we're just giving it to him. Mm-hmm. So. He's got each drug addict costs us, you know, really at end a guy who gets shot and killed in the drug thing or gets wounded costs us thirty million dollars each in health care. Wow. Each kid thirty million each. And for what? Fifty bucks worth of morphine. Now, I tell you another weird thing would happen. Just John Smith, I'm not saying everyone, just this one guy. We give mm-hmm. this one guy opiate, like it's in our little drug treatment center. He comes mm-hmm. in every day and gets his opium. After a few months he's gonna get to be our friend. So what do you want? Hey, John, you want a sandwich? Have a sandwich. Here you go. Hey, you want a mm-hmm. cool Yankees baseball hat? Have a baseball hat. Or Cleveland, whatever the team is out there. And we make friends with this guy. Dodgers. And after five or six months, hey, John, you know what? You're using heroin every day. I'll tell you what. You want to get sober? Over here we have AA. We have a psychiatrist. Over here we have a, uh, you know, a, a psychologist. We have a job training. We can teach you to read and write. You know, if you want to do these other things, We'll be glad to help you, and gradually, in three, five, seven, eight months, we're going to try and get you off of drugs and back into being a, participata- a participatory person in society. Get your life back. You don't have to do it. We're not going to make you do it. We're not going to take your morphine away. It's just mm-hmm. an option. It's, op- it's open to you if you want it. That mm. guy, if he stays in morphine his whole life, I don't care. I can mm-hmm. care less. It's going to cost me $70 of tax money, $200 for morphine for his whole life. Mm-hmm. Those cost nothing, and it's his business. Now, we offered him, when he comes in to get a sandwich and his cup of coffee and his opium, he has a chance to get out of it anytime he wants. Okay. We talk to a counselor. We've got Narcotics Anonymous here. We've got a priest. We've got a rabbi. We've got a, an imam. We've got everybody. Anything you want, John. We're trying to help you. We'll get you job training. We want to get you back. Because we'd rather, we'd rather you be working and paying taxes than using opium and staying home. Yes. But, you know, now... I imagine if you did this to 10,000 people who are using opium, 10,000 heroin addicts, about a third would just stay in opium, a third would become sober, and a third would go back and forth, you know, and they have a lot of different, you know, different people have different problems. One guy might be schizophrenic, one guy might be depressed, one guy might be a 60-year-old jazz musician, a 70-year-old, you know, manic kid, Mm -hmm. they might need need psychiatric help. I don't know what they need, who knows? But I can promise you it's different for every kid. There's no such thing as a cure or a pill or a program for every addict. That's just insanity. It's okay. like abdominal pain. If you have 100 people with abdominal pain, none of them have the same disease. That one's True. pregnant. That one has appendicitis. This one's got ulcers. This one got stabbed. This one has a, a problem with their intestine. This one's constipated. This one's got a virus. It's never going to be the same. You can't just say, what's the treatment for abdominal pain? It's not, it's not going to be the same for anybody. You've got to figure it out 
in each single case. Same with addicts. It's crazy to imagine there's a pill or a program or a thing that's going to treat every addict. They're completely different people. This guy's an idiot. <laughs> he's not going to get better. He's a moron. <laughs> this other one's a genius. He's super smart. You know, he's, he's a PhD, whatever. He's clever. And we can use that cleverness to maybe help him. Or maybe the moron will get better and surprise us. And the, and the genius won't. It'll be, he's just too stubborn. He'll stand, you know, we'll be surprised. But it's a different approach for these people. You can't have one system. And True. national health care, believe it or not, would put an end to the drug war, which is probably we, which is probably why, and this is like more conspiratorial, this is why we don't have national health care. I agree that this is more on the crazy side. But national health care would put an end to the drug war. And 85% oh. of people in prison are there because of drug charges, you know. Yes. That's a big moneymaker. Yes, yes. So if you had national health care, goodbye drug war. Because addiction is, in the book, is a disease. Addiction to gambling, addiction to alcohol, addiction to opiate. These are diseases. Yes, and, and the DSMR. Yeah. Yep, and then they're going to get treated as diseases. And how do you treat an opium addict? You give them opium. And what's he going to stop doing? He's going to stop buying street opium that day. Yeah, that day. And that's the, okay. that's the, end, of the, that's the end of the drug war. We're going to take our last break of the day, but we'll be back to uh, finish this off. We're going to talk about some health care, and I want to get into the uh, Fresh Start program that you have. Uh, but stay tuned. We'll be more uh, back with more right after this. You're listening to Don't Box Me In on TalkZone.com. Here's Lana Reed. We're back talking with Dr. Dave Ories of the Lower East Side Medical Group. And uh, before the break, I mentioned I wanted to talk about the Fresh Start program that you offer. Could you tell me a, a little bit more about that? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, the Fresh Start program, I used to have, uh, a laser to remove tattoos. You, you, you do one treatment of the tattoo every every month or so for five or six treatments, and the tattoo fades away. So I was removing tattoos as a business. You know, you three four hundred dollars, and you mm-hmm. remove someone's tattoo. Then during this time, I had friends of friends who had buddies who had teardrops on their face, gang tats on their hands, on their neck. They had no money, but they mm-hmm. couldn't work. They couldn't get a job. And this relates back to the first thing we talked about at the top of the hour was this idea of tattoos and, and um, hostile kind of environment in the culture. Mm-hmm. So they have FU on their neck or their prison number or teardrops or stuff on their face or their crips and bloods, whatever, on their hands. Gotcha. All kinds of different you know, gangs. So I started doing it for free. I did it for free because it only takes me 30, 40 seconds to do. Okay. It's a very fast treatment. And they got to come in once every five, six weeks. And it okay. changes their life. Because if they tattoo okay. off their hands or off their face, they can now not only apply for the job they want, it opens up many more job opportunities that they can do. So I had one guy that worked at a BMW place in, in the back, what they call the back, you know, where you're doing the garage and stuff. Yes. And he was a very bright, smart guy, and they had this program that they, they, they pay for, like a, a 30-week training program to make him a manager type. Mm-hmm. But, they, but he had a tattoo on his face from a gang when he was 15 or 16. Now he's 25. Okay. And so they, could, they couldn't put him in the front of the house because it was against policy. They didn't want a guy with, you know, murder on his neck or whatever it said. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I can see their point. So I removed it for free, and that guy got this job, and he's promoted it, and it's much better for everyone. 
So mm-hmm. we're trying to now. Our, last June, the machine broke; it just died, just of old age, and we had to get a new one. It cost about 150 grand. So this last six months, we formed again a not-for-profit, and we use Indiegogo and different websites. And we're trying to do all kinds of fundraising ideas. And once mm-hmm. we get our 501c3 status, we're going to approach foundation and ask for the money to buy the machine to start this project again because it's a wonderful project. Okay. Yeah, I mean, so does anybody that can walk into your office and um, say, I want my tattoos removed, or do you have certain qualifications, or you, how do you choose who well, you give the, the service the people, to? The people that we serve, first of all, it's the hands, face, and neck. These are visible tattoos. They can't cover up a shirt for a job interview. That's the one thing, not the chest okay. and back and legs and stuff. Secondly, we treat uh, former uh, gang members, but also ex-offenders who got prison tattoos in the past, okay. and also Victims of human trafficking, women who've been tattooed or branded by their pimp or owner to, um, you know, they have barcode and names and stuff on their body. In those cases, no matter where the tattoo on their body is, we remove it for no charge to help them psychologically move forward from the recovery that they're going through. So the qualification is um, those groups of people, hand, neck, and face. And we, 90% of the time, the people we get are referred by agencies and organizations who we partner with, like the Doe Fund. We're going to work with them. The Brooklyn DA office, we're going to work with them, judges, um, marshals. Because a lot of times we'll get a kid who's an offender and has a choice to go either to prison or to some kind of work release program. Mm -hmm. And the judge will say, under condition, you get that tattoo off your face. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm aware of that. Now, the kid doesn't have $2,000 to get the tattoo off his face. So he's kind of screwed. But we do it for nothing. So if you get one kid not to go back to prison or say two kids to not go back to prison that pays for the whole machine gotcha in terms of in terms of cost there's a whole thing cool. called social impact bonds there's a whole other t- another, another hour show but <laughs> these programs that um, discuss kind of private investment strategies to raise money like a, through a bond you issue a bond mm-hmm. and if you can save the government say 3 million dollars then you get to keep your, they, then they pay back. The government pays the bank back, the bond. It's a little bit complicated, but there's different ways to raise money. Ours is simple. We're going to ask foundations. I'm going to ask the NBA. I'm going to try and talk to NBA, local NBA players to get a sponsor to get okay. the money to buy this machine. But it's a great, great program, and it's, I think it's super valuable. What you get back for 30 seconds of your time, you know, you really improve their life, and it improves the life of the community as well. Okay. And, and normally it takes about how many treatments to remove a tattoo for a kid or an ex-offender? It can take um, it can take um, ten or fifteen ten or fifteen treatments sometimes. Okay. But um, sometimes it's four or five. It depends on the ink in their skin. If it's if it's Indian ink or you know professional tattoo ink, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. And so you said the machine costs a uh, hundred and fifty thousand. Is there, uh, if, if people that are listening want to get involved and help you with your project, how do they reach out and contact you? I think my website's LowerEastSideMedical.com, LowerEastSideMedical.com, and they can Google me, Dr. Dave Orris. I'm all over Google. They can find me. But the uh, machine is like 90000 but you have to have a five-year service contract to operate the machine because it has to stay in medical standards. So the total is 150 That's what you have to have to, to operate the machine. But my website explains all that. Okay, okay. And I think there's one other point that I uh, forgot to cover. And uh, when you provide your medical 
coverage or medical care, I should say, for people. Um, sometimes there's prescriptions and stuff involved. Do you also offer that at low cost to people, or is that a, a side bar kind of thing? Well, what we do is, first of all, we use generic medicines that are much cheaper. Mm-hmm. And I teach the patient all the tricks of how to get it for much cheaper, you know, how to get okay. online. And I try to offer medicines. Like, for example, you can buy a pill. Let's say they take 10 milligrams a day of a day of whatever. One trick, prescribed in 20 milligrams, and they can break it in half and double their usage. You follow Gotcha. Because gotcha. if, if the 20 milligrams cost the same as the 10 milligrams, you can break them in half. Using generics is way cheaper. Using prescription plans is way cheaper. Um, okay. And online, you, know, you, you work with them to get. I try to get people MRIs. Every year they have the breast cancer month here in New York in February. You get free mammograms. I try to get that hooked up with them. Anything I can find for free. The Department of Health has free vaccinations. So I'm always in this, I have a kind of big list of free stuff that I'm always <laughs> trying to, to, to take advantage of. So I'm always looking around like a, like a junk man. <laughs> No, but I think everybody in the community probably appreciates Dr. Day for all of that. I mean, it's it's very rare that you see a medical professional go through such great lengths to provide I think, economic. I, 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 th- I think it's rare that you hear about it, honestly. My mom and dad are both doctors, and they've served the community for their 50-, 60-year careers. And you just don't hear about yeah. it. A lot of doctors, a lot of these fancy highfalutin surgeons, they do a lot of good free work. You just never hear about it. A lot of okay. doctors help a lot of people on the DM. Same with nurses and all health professionals. But the system is horrible. We're living under apartheid, and everyone's going like, oh, that's okay. That's how it feels. Mm. It's, it, it, it makes you just, I, I can't even get my, it doesn't make me angry because it's just so crazy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's so nuts. You can't get angry <laughs> about it. I go, it's just, it's just, it just blows your mind. Why are you paying trillions for nothing? I don't, it's just, I, I don't know. So you just do the best. I try to do, I try to do action. I don't like to. Just, I like to complain. You can tell I love to complain. But, addition, <laughs> but you do as well. You do as I well. Like all, I like to just offer the solution in, in practice. So I put my practice where my mouth is, kind of. I don't just talk about it. I do this yeah. restaurant co-op and I do other things to show you that you can provide health care without health insurance. You, you have, all you need is a patient and a doctor. You don't need anything else. True. True. I mean, and I like I said, the rest is not. Go ahead. I'm saying the rest is nonsense. You know, a patient and a doctor, they talk to each other. The doctor takes care of the patient, and you're done. That's all you need. You don't have to pay some third party, you know, 50 grand, you know, so they can keep the 50 grand. That, that, that doesn't help anyone. Paying money to, you know, paying health dollars to corporations that just keep the money is, doesn't make any sense. It doesn't help anyone. It just makes them more wealthy. Okay. It doesn't help anybody. Well, I think uh, we are at the end of the show. That hour went so quick. I had a few more questions I wanted to ask, but maybe we'll have to get you back on at a later time. Uh, my guest today has been Dr. Dave Orris. To get more information on everything he's doing, visit his website at LowerEastSideMedical.com. Dr. Dave, I appreciate you so much for taking the time to talk to me. You know, it's so nice when the big guys come and talk to us little guys, and I appreciate you for that and wish you much no, no, success in everything. Honestly, we're all little guys, honestly. We all know that. <laughs> we're all on the same earth, and we're on the same conveyor belt, and we have the same faith. So I think we're all equal. There's no higher and lower in reality. Another truth we can talk about in the next show. 
Such a wonderful spirit. Such a wonderful spirit. Thank you so much again for talking to me. Uh, that's all for this week's show. I'll be back next week at the same time. Until then, remember when it comes to your dreams, the words can't and won't should never slow you down. There's always space to change and to grow. Don't be boxed in. Live your very best life. I am your host, Lana Reed. And you can visit my website at LanaReed.com, my Facebook, Lana Reed Online, or even catch up with me on Twitter, Lana Reed. Until next time, I look forward to connecting with you.